This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. Previously on Digger, Dylan and his friends met Mora's father, Grebe, a Teeley garbage collector who's one of the few people in the outer rim of Ryan to own an airship due to his work. Grebe told the kids about there being different forms of life on different layers of the earth, and that once the species of life on the surface is done, the species in the layer below rise up to take their place on the surface. He also told them about the Union, those who ruthlessly rule the city of Ryan, and the Risers, those Ryanites who wish to rebel and rise up to the surface before their due time. Grebe gave the kids a map crystal of Underearth so that they could find the Knowers, a group of miners that may be the kids' only hope to digging their way back to the surface. Before any more questions could be answered, the Union Patrol stormed Grebe's hut, forcing Mora and the kids to escape into the garbage lines. 
And now for episode four, The Garbage Lines. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents... Digger. Dylan had smelled some pretty terrible things in his life. There was that time he got stuck in an outhouse at the Renaissance Festival for over an hour, and another time when he found an old egg salad sandwich in a lunchbox he'd forgotten about in his closet. But this, this was a whole new level of nasty. He gagged as he trudged through green and orange slime in the garbage tunnel. The tube was wide, like a subway tunnel, and it was dark, slimy, and full of colorful sludge and trash. Strange trinkets and wads of floating material drifted slowly down the river of filth. The passageway echoed like a cave, with the sounds of their sloshing feet and the crunching of trash. Orange bubble lights in the ceiling dimly lit their disgusting surroundings. Dylan almost wished they weren't there at all. He'd rather not see all the disgusting stuff he was having to walk through. Every once in a while, he felt something slimy slither by his ankles under the water. Dylan couldn't believe he was down here. He was never one to get homesick, but now, more than ever, all he wanted was to get back home, take a shower, and never go on another treasure hunt again. He couldn't imagine how his mom must be feeling right now. He was all she had. She needed him. By now, she'd probably had half the town looking for them, all because of a little treasure hunt. Dylan felt angry and stupid for getting into this mess. If he did ever find a way out of this, and that was a big if, would anyone believe what he saw? He'd have Mac and Laney to vouch for him, but Mac was known for believing in crazy stuff, and Laney's tendency to embellish stories to make them more dramatic was old news. It was hopeless. Dylan's thoughts turned to Ryan, the Crystal City. Maybe he could take a small piece of the city back with him, some small chunk of crystal, if it really was crystal. Maybe the map crystal from Grebe was worth something. Just a handful of precious stones could be life-changing for him and his mom. They'd never have to worry about money again. He tried to hold on to that thought. When he did, it gave him some small hope that perhaps he'd gotten into this mess for a reason. Dylan's attention returned to Mac, Laney, and Mora, who were pushing through trash up ahead. Laney was mumbling again, trying to convince herself that the things she felt slip by her feet were really just slimy tree branches. Next to her, Mac, who had obviously become used to the awful stench, was digging through trash and recovering all sorts of fascinating alien knickknacks. 
check this out, he said, holding up a big black box with a spring bouncing out of it. It's like a jack-in-the-box. He held it up to his face and examined it. That is a tealy waste bucket, Mora said, trying to keep a straight face. Waste bucket? Max said, slowly lowering the box from his face. You don't mean... Mora nodded. Oh, nasty! Mac threw the box back into the sludge. Mora pulled several silver hooks from her bag and handed a pair to each of them. What are these for? Laney asked, looking horrified at the sharp cleavers. You will need them to grab hold of the walls in case they flush the tunnels, Mora said. I'm sorry, flush the tunnels? Mac checked to see if he'd heard her correctly. We should be okay, Mora assured them. They do not usually flush this time of day, but just in case they do, you will need to run up to a wall, stick your hook in it, and hold on. The tunnel is flushed a couple times a day. A wave of water pushes the trash through the garbage lines out into the boiling sea. She looked at their stunned expressions. Do not worry. Like I said, we should be out of here long before the next flush. And if not, you each have two hooks which should be plenty to cleave to the wall. Do not touch anything without the hook. Dylan stared at the huge hooks in his hands. So, if we lose our grip, we'll be washed out into the boiling sea? Or drowned, yes, Morris said matter-of-factly. She turned and continued down the tunnel, pushing aside trash using a hook in her one hand and her spear in the other. The point of her glowing red spear lit the way. Come, I want to reach the opposite rim before the Union Patrol realizes we are down here. Couldn't you just teleport us to safety? Mac asked. It is not that simple, Mora said. Servants of the light can only lift, or teleport as you like to call it, for a short period of time, and after we do, we are left with very little energy. We need time to recover when we jump far. I am not a very experienced servant, so I can only jump short distances. What is a servant of light? Dylan asked. Some of us in the Tealy tribe have a natural gift, a sensitivity to the light, or the energy that gives all things life. Only a small group of us can lift. It requires years of training and meditation to be able to separate the light from the body. The Tealy believe the light resides within our bodies and that it is constrained by it. But when separated briefly, one can tap into the full potential within us. Then when we die, our light returns to the planet's core. That's incredible, Dylan said finally forgetting about the rotten waste around him. Can we lift like you? Mac asked. Are we able to unlock the potential of the light? I do not know, Morris said thoughtfully. I have just met you and know nothing of the surfacers. Perhaps... That's ridiculous, Laney said with a scoff. Nothing about us returns to the core of the earth when we die. Everything goes dark, and we just go into the ground. Mora stopped and glared at her. Do you mock my beliefs? 
I'm not mocking you. I just don't believe it, Lainey said, waving her hooks around as she spoke. But you just teleported with us, Max said. Obviously, there's some truth to what she's saying. Okay, obviously I can't explain what just happened back there, Lainey admitted with some irritation. But there are a lot of things that we can't explain. So what's wrong with having an answer for those things that you believe? Dylan asked. Everyone's entitled to their own beliefs. Mora and the Teelys have found something that gives them purpose and special abilities. Who are we to say they're wrong? Have you ever died before? No, I just don't believe it, Lainey reiterated. Look, you guys believe what you want. Heck, be like Mac and believe everything for all I care. All I'm saying is it sounds a little ridiculous. Mora whirled around. What is ridiculous is having to pretend you are not really here, Mora said in an icy tone. Cry less, talk less. She turned and marched a little faster down the tunnel. Lainey watched her go with an oh-no-you-didn't pose. Mac and Dylan gave her a look. What? she said. I'm only saying what I think. Sometimes, Lainey, it's best to keep our thoughts to ourselves, Dylan said, following after Mora. That's rich, coming from you two opinion blabbers. Lainey, Lainey, Lainey. No need to call people names, Max said innocently. You've got a religion too, you know. I've never seen anyone worship Hollywood the way you do. He laughed until Lainey slugged him in the arm. Oh, shut it. They continued further down the garbage lines, climbing over giant heaps of trash and pushing through huge, sticky blobs of guck. Mac had all but forgotten what his hooks were for and was pretending to be Captain Hook. Raise the sail, me! he shouted. He jabbed his hook at Dylan. Fight me like a man, Peter Pan! Cut it out, Dylan said, pushing the hook away. After feeling a few more slimy, slithering things brush by her feet, Lainey had resorted once again to pretending she was in a movie. In this scene, she'd been taken prisoner and was being led down into the dungeons. She even held her hands together in front of her as if they were tied. You'll be sorry for this, you, you evil witch, she said in an accent. When my father, the king, finds out about this, he'll have half the knights in the kingdom storming your dungeon. If you're lucky, they'll make it quick and feed you to the dragon. Mora leaned over to Dylan. Who is the witch in this scenario? Is she talking to me? Just ignore her, Dylan said. Witch, 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 witchy witch, came Lainey's voice behind them. A group of people came into view up ahead. Protected by homemade plastic outfits, they dug through the trash with their hooks, sifting, poking, flipping, and tossing the heaps of garbage. Who are they? Mac asked. They are scavengers, Mora said, continuing their march. Ryan is a very prosperous city. It is not uncommon for valuables to find their way into the garbage lines. Many people, both within the city limits and without, risk the tunnels in search of treasures. Mac looked at Dylan wide-eyed. Did you hear that? Treasures! He glanced at the rank trash soup around him. 
And to think we've been stomping all over it this whole time! Max started feverishly digging through the trash. We do not have time to scavenge, Mora told him. Besides, you do not have a trained eye to see such valuables in the dark. Don't worry, I'll keep up, Mac assured her, digging through the trash and looking for something shiny. These must be your prisoners, Laney said, nodding to the scavengers. Will you make me wear one of those wretched plastic uniforms too? Mora looked at Dylan and clenched her teeth. Do I respond? I wouldn't, Dylan said. And she didn't. Laney didn't seem to care. She was too busy admiring the large butterflies hovering around the scavengers. One of them broke from the group and fluttered over to her. Oh, hi there, little guy, she said, holding out her hand. The beautiful green and red butterfly flapped its fuzzy wings and landed gently on her palm. What is such a cute little thing doing down in this dreadful dungeon, huh? She reached out to stroke the butterfly's wings, which were as wide as an open book. Do not move, Mora shouted. Laney glanced annoyingly over the butterfly's wings and found Mora's spear inches away from the huge bug. What's wrong, Laney said. Afraid of a butterfly? Laney's confident character withered away as she saw the looks of horror on Mac and Dylan's faces. Slowly, the butterfly turned, and the light from Moore's spear revealed its black ooze under the wings. Sharp spikes covered the wings, and between them was a gaping mouth full of fangs. The nasty little creature hissed at her. Laney struggled to get a scream out. Just as the creature was about to spring off her hand, a glowing red spearhead punctured through it. Laney finally screamed and covered her eyes. In one swift motion, Mora flung the stabbed creature off her spear. Do not touch anything without the hook, she said. One bite from a keppel, and pretty soon your skin will start oozing that same tar-like substance you saw on those wings. Laney glanced back at the dead keppel as she struggled to catch her breath. Oh, then you'd have to change your character, Max said, patting Laney's shoulder. You'd have to play the sticky tar dungeon monster. Laney slugged him again. The group continued on, walking even closer together and abruptly aiming their hooks at anything that moved. Max digging went from a mad dash to cautious sifting. Did you feel that? Dylan said, feeling another slimy thing slither by his foot. I felt it, Max said. Go, me too, Laney said with a jump. That's probably the Loch Ness Monster, Max said in all seriousness. Don't even start, Dylan told him. What? She's real. If you think about it, it makes sense for her to exist in a subterranean environment. Mora motioned them forward. Just keep walking. We are almost there. The Cruncher will not take you if you keep moving. The Cruncher? The kids said in unison. They exchanged a sudden look of terror and began power-marching down the tunnel, garbage sloshing against their knees. Mac was getting frustrated with his treasure hunt. He'd picked through dozens of trash heaps since they'd started, and he still hadn't found anything of interest. It's a bust, he said, giving up. I haven't even seen another waste bucket. 
Mora turned her glowing spear on him to light his face. Keep your voice down. We do not want to call attention to ourselves while we are down here. The scavengers do not like... She stopped and held her glowing spear up to his shoulder. Mac's whole top half was covered in garbage he'd been tossing over his shoulder. Wires, food scraps, and plastics draped over his shoulders, and in the middle of them, tangled up in a wad of wire, was a shimmering blue crystal. Mora's eyes went wide. Oh no, what if it's another one of those devil butterflies? Die! Die! Max smacked his shoulder a couple of times and then froze when he noticed the big, glowing crystal. What the... He pulled it out of the wire and held it up in front of his face. Mora glanced nervously over at the scavengers, who were now looking up at them. Oh, Dale, this is it. This is what I'm looking for, Max said. It's the blue crystal for my supercomputer. Look at it. It's perfect. He rubbed the guck off the crystal and turned it in his fingers. Get rid of it now, Mora whispered. Are you crazy? I'm not going to throw this away. They followed Mora's gaze and saw the scavengers walking towards him through the trash. Run, Mora shouted. She and the kids ran as hard as they could through the knee-deep slush. Behind them, they could hear the echoing splashes of the pursuing scavengers. Throw it, Dylan shouted. No way, Mac argued. You know how rare these things are? Mac, you're going to get us killed, Lainey cried. I'm not letting it go. The scavengers were almost to them. One of them dove for Mac and caught his ankle, but Mac wiggled free. They rounded a corner in the tunnel and stopped. The tunnel split into two paths, one of which was blocked by a metal gate. Morris stared at it in shock. Why are we stopping? Lainey cried. Our way is blocked, Morris said, pointing to the gate. She motioned to the open path next to it. This tunnel will not get us to where we need to go. It leads to the east side whirlpools. What do we do? Dylan shouted, looking back at the scavengers who were almost to them. A surge of panic shot through him. Was he going to have to fight these people? They never fought anyone before. His first fight was about to be with a bunch of adults in a sewer. Mora looked around in a hurry. She spotted a metal hatch door in the ceiling and shook her head. We are going up. Just give them the stupid crystal, Mac! Laney shouted, grabbing the crystal in Mac's hand. No! Mac pulled it back, and the two of them played tug-of-war with it. We'll fight them off! Mac, just give it to them! Dylan said, clenching his hooks nervously. Mora pushed through them and spun her spear in a wide arc before whacking the first attacking scavenger. The scavenger flew back with a splash into the trash. Several more of them charged, but before they could reach Dylan and his friends, they suddenly stopped. A low grumble echoed down the tunnel. What was that? Dylan asked. Impossible, Mora muttered. Not now? The orange lights overhead suddenly blinked red. Almost immediately, the scavengers scrambled for the walls. Dylan noticed the water gradually rising above his knees. He could feel the pull of the current getting stronger. Are we about to be flushed? Mac yelled. Grab onto the walls, Mora ordered. 
The kids splashed towards the walls as the groaning in the tunnel grew louder. Dylan's heart stopped as he watched a tidal wave of sludge and trash come barreling towards them. Go, 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 he shouted. He reached the slimy curved wall, jumped up as high as he could, and slammed both his hooks into it. Whoosh! A pounding force hit him, washing trash and grime over his head. Dylan held on for dear life, his body twisting underwater, taking hits from boxes and cans that flew through the wave. After a few more seconds, it passed over him and he gasped for air. He looked back at the passing wave and saw a few scavengers wash down the tunnel with the flood. Catching his breath, he scanned the wall for his friends. There was Mora. She hung from a single hook and was wiping sludge from her face. Next to her, Mac held onto the wall with one hook and had his other connected to Laney's hook as she dangled freely below him. Laney! Dylan pried himself from the wall and ran over to help her down. Laney coughed up some slime. <coughs> I'm okay, she whimpered. Oh, it tastes so gross. Dylan looked up at Mac, who was carefully sliding down the wall. Nice catch, he told him. Mora looked mildly disappointed as she dropped down. I got lucky, Mac said, sincerely amazed with himself. One second there's a wall of water coming at me, and the next second Laney's flying by me and her hooks catch. Laney looked at his hands. You dropped your crystal? Mac nodded sadly. I couldn't hold on to both hooks and the crystal. I'm... I'm sorry you lost it, Laney said, but thank you. There'll be more, hopefully, Max said. We need to continue, Mora interrupted. The journey will be much longer and more dangerous now that we have to go through Ryan. We're going through the city? Dylan asked. We have no choice. Mora studied the split in the tunnels and the hatch above them. If I am correct... This hatch should take us right out into the heart of the city. But first, we need to hide your faces. If the Ryanites notice your pink skin, they will know you are not from here. She tossed them a few loose bags floating nearby. Here, hood your faces. With luck, they will think you are only scavengers. She dug around some more until she found a thick wire nearby. Wrapping it around her arm, she began climbing up the slimy tunnel walls with her hooks until she hung from the ceiling. The kids watched in awe as she dangled from one hook and managed to open the hatch door with her free hand. Seconds later, she had pulled herself up and tossed the thick wire down to them. Dylan and Laney climbed up first, slipping on the first couple attempts, but figuring it out once they got a grip with their feet. Then it was Max's turn but the chubby boy had a much harder time with the climb. So Laney, Dylan, and Mora had to pull him up most of the way. One by one, they climbed out of the hatch and found themselves in an abandoned alley. Stay close to me and keep the bags over your head, Mora told them. Do not make eye contact with anyone. Hopefully our smell will keep everyone at a distance. She nodded back to Mac, do not forget to close the lid. Mac turned and pushed the hatch door shut, but didn't push hard enough, and it remained open a crack. As they crept down the alleyway, 
Dylan, Laney, and Mac kept glancing up and gawking at the buildings. Two enormous crystals, one clear, the other purple, sandwiched them in the alley. They stretched up into the sky and glistened in the fake sun. The scene became even more extraordinary when they reached the street up ahead. Airships in all shapes and sizes sputtered fifty feet above them. Some were long and took up most of the space between the buildings, while others were only big enough for one person. A single passenger airship zoomed by in front of them. It looked like a flying motorcycle attached to a furnace with a jet engine suspended from a football-shaped balloon. The small vehicle nearly collided with a giant airship that looked like a sideways bus as it came roaring through the intersection. The airship bus honked its horn at it, and the smaller airship blasted off around a corner, its rider shouting obscenities. All around the airship's crystal buildings line the streets. The jagged, transparent minerals stretched up high above them in all directions. Some purple, some aqua blue, and orange, but most of them clear. Dylan could make out people bustling about inside the clear walls. Dozens of them walked across crystal bridges that arched over the streets hundreds of feet above the ground as they went from one building to the next. Dylan's gaze fell upon the mobs of people in front of them, hurrying down the streets. Most wore plain gray clothes, but made up for the plainness with their hairstyles. Hair twisted, poofed, and spiked in strange, unnatural shapes and colors that stood in stark contrast to their powder-white skin. One man, Dylan noticed, had a blue and white striped swirl that stood straight up from his head. Mac couldn't believe what he was seeing either. He glanced over at Mora. And I thought your hair was crazy, he said. Mine is natural, Mora said with a raised eyebrow. The Union has strict rules against strong styles of clothing, but for whatever reason, they forgot to make a rule about hairstyles. Mac looked back at the street and saw a woman who'd made something of a pink swan out of her hair. Well, it should be illegal. It looks horrendous. Mora glanced both ways. It is clear. Keep your heads down and follow me. They followed her across the street into another alleyway that narrowed before opening up into a plaza. Mora froze when they reached it. This space... An open octagon surrounded by sharp red gem-shaped buildings was full of shouting and cheering people. But unlike the Ryanites on the other street, these people were dressed in bright yellow and none of them had crazy hairdos. The only color of hair Dylan could see in the crowd was jet black. A look of panic crossed Moore's face as she looked out at the hundreds of gatherers in front of them. We have waited long enough, shouted a voice in the plaza. The time has come to take our rightful place on the surface and claim the land promised to us by our forefathers before it's too late. The crowd cheered again. It's coming from up there, Laney said, pointing to an enormous flag flapping above the tallest of the gemstone buildings. Projected onto the waving flag was the face of a man. He looked young, probably in his thirties, and like the rest of the people had pale skin and jet black hair. The man's hair was pulled back in a ponytail, and his narrow face had a thin mustache and goatee. 
When he spoke, his intense eyes stared down at the crowd through angular eyebrows, and his voice boomed over the hidden speaker. Will we wait for the soil to be spoiled? The man shouted. No! Shouted the crowd. Will we wait for the oceans to fill with filth and flood our lands? No! Will we wait another day to feel the warmth of a real sun? No! Then rise with me, brothers. Rise! Dylan stared up at the flag. Is that... Kai? Yes, Mora muttered. We cannot be seen here. Come, we must go back the way we came and find another way. As they turned to leave, Mac accidentally stepped on one of the demonstrator's feet. Watch it, scavenger! The large man shoved Mac to the ground, making his plastic hood fall off his head. The man stepped back and stared down at Mac, dumbstruck. A surfacer, he mumbled. No, 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 <laughs> nothing to see here, Mac said, throwing the plastic hood back over his head and scrambling to his feet. A surfacer, the man shouted, pointing at Mac. The demonstrators next to him all turned their attention from the flag to look at Mac. Run, Mora told the kids. They ran out of the plaza, down through the alley to the main street. Mora skidded to a stop. Across the street, making its way down the opposite alley, was a giant, slimy pink creature. Like a giant, hairless rat with tentacles, the beast roared and barreled out into the busy roadway. The streets erupted into chaos. Ryanites shrieked and ran from the grotesque monster. Macintosh? Morris said angrily. Did you close the hatch door? Mac's chubby face scrunched back into his neck. Uh, of? Dylan's body stood paralyzed with fear. What is that thing? It is the Cruncher, Morris said, reading her spear. The Cruncher's tentacles whipped out and grabbed onto a fleet one-man airship and tossed it into a nearby building. A couple Union soldiers, dressed head to toe in slick gray armor, charged the animal, throwing their red-hot boomerang weapons at it, which sliced off a few tentacles before flying back around and landing back in the soldiers' hands. But before they could hit the beast's face, they too were easily thrown out of the way. Mora turned, looking for an escape. There has to be another way. Help! Laney cried. They turned and saw the big demonstrator from the plaza holding Laney who was trying to kick her way out of his grasp. Before any of them could react, they were seized by demonstrators and dragged back to the plaza. When they reached it, the crowd cheered. Moore and the kids were pushed through the mob and thrown at the steps of the large red building, where from above, Kai looked down at them from his flag projection. His face took them in with genuine shock and excitement. Finally, he said, his mustache turning up in a satisfied smile. I knew this day would come. At last we will show the world the urgency of our cause. He looked out at his loyal followers. Risers, bring them to me. The crowd cheered and shouted as Dylan, Mora, Laney, and Mac were escorted to a fancy yellow airship 
at the other end of the plaza. Hey, Rocketeers, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Digger, which is a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. I want to take a second to do a few shout-outs of our loyal listeners who are participating in our Apple Podcast Review promo, Tanner from the USA, Kehlani from Massachusetts, and Harper Jensen from Middletown, Connecticut. Thank you guys for leaving your review on Apple Podcasts and for tuning into this show. Thank you all for listening, and don't forget to tune in next time. This is your host, Greg Webb.